Lord, I can't understand why you would want to reconcile us to yourself and to make all things right. Well, why not just start over? Why not just blow this whole thing up? But Lord, you didn't because you loved us so much. And Lord, the only way we know that, the way we really know that, is that power, the, de the power of death had no, no hold on Jesus. And that's what we're celebrating today. There may be many within the sound of my voice, Lord, that still think, nah, that's ridiculous. I just can't imagine. Well, it was the case during the time of Jesus as well. Lord, well, you can send your spirit and give us faith. It's a gift. Faith is a gift. But faith does come by hearing, and hearing comes by the word of God. So, Lord, help us unpack your word today, this Resurrection Sunday, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, what a privilege it is to be with you today. Uh, the title today, Court Jester or Truth Teller? Court Jester, you, you, know the, you know the court jester guy that comes in, he's the clown and he comes before the king and he kind of maybe a little juggling act, tells a joke, maybe intentionally trips as he walks in, I don't know. I think that's called Seinfeld now is what they call that, but, but you get the point. Is that, is that what we're dealing with here this morning? Or are we just dealing with some fables, some, you know, things like that? I'll be honest with you. I'm just not into pageantry. Uh, in fact, forget pageantry. I, I have a hard time doing anything that I don't feel like, well, it's not going to have an end result. So uh, Tasha, I met this morning. She was out. I said that she was out on the bump and grind. I, I Tasha, out on the bump and grind, six o'clock this morning. That's incredible. I mean, I am so in awe of that. But unless there's a trout stream at the end of that, or there's a golf ball on the other end of that work or walk or something, I just can't. There has to be something for me. And I know being in shape and all that. Well, you know, I understand that too. But there always there has to be a result. There has to be an end game. And the end game here is that you don't have to fear death anymore. I don't have to fear death anymore. I can actually go to sleep tonight not wondering if there is anything out there I can, I can know. And you say, well, how can you know it happened 2,000 years ago? We're going to talk about that a little bit this morning. First thing we want to establish, and I pretty much bring this verse up every single Resurrection Sunday I've ever taught, I think, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Let's just, let's just get it from the outset that we're not dealing with wish fulfillment or anything. We're dealing with a guy named Saul who would become Paul, and Paul had had an experience with the risen Jesus and had every reason not to follow him, not to believe, every reason in the book not to believe, and yet he still believed to the point of giving his own life. Not only giving up what he, everything that he had worked to attain his whole life. I mean, think about that for a second. I mean, just try to imagine everything you've worked for your entire life. Maybe you're a doctor or something and you've gone, you know, eight years of med school and you had to get through and all those late nights and all those labs and all that stuff you had to do. And you're one, one year into your practice and then you see something and they're just going to give it up just because you see like you have a dream or maybe a hallucination or something. You're just going to give up everything and just go after it. I don't think so. I don't think that just happens like that. Well, this was the case with Saul. And listen to what he says, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 12. He says, now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there, well, there is no resurrection of the dead? And if there's no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain and your faith 
is vain, ridiculous. Why are you, why are you spending time here? Well, it's a beautiful day. Go out there, get on the bump and grind, or don't get on the bump and grind unless you want to be a little bit, you know, tough on yourself, but at least, you know, go down and have a latte and sit outside. It's a beautiful day. Why would you be here? That's what he's saying. This is absurd. Moreover, we will be have found to be false witnesses of God. And that includes me, because I'm up here telling you with all my heart, with all my passion, with all my intellect, all my heart, mind, soul, and strength, Jesus said, that Jesus has been raised from the dead. And I'm going to, again, give you some reasons why I believe that. And then some, I'll even give you, go as far as to say why I know that that's the case. Well, I don't want to be a false witness because, well, we and now me testifying against God that he raised Christ if he didn't raise him. In fact, if the dead are not raised, for if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And here it is. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. But it helps me get through. It helped me with my marriage. You know, it helped really get my marriage back on track. You know, my kids were kind of going wild and we got them into a nice, nice youth group or, you know, I really needed some community and it really kind of helped me bring, it, bring me out of my shell. All those things can be true. But that is not a reason to have faith. That's a reason to gather and that's a reason to do other things. But it's not a reason to have faith. It's not. And he goes on and finally closes, and then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. But he says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. And guess what? You're still in your sin. Now, say sin, here we go. You know, I don't know about that and all that language of sin in the Bible, what that means and everything. Let, let's be clear. What sin is, this is missing the target. It's a departure from the very, the very purpose for which God created you. You don't understand who you are and you don't understand why you're on this earth and as a result, you're gonna be misguided. You're not gonna you're not gonna walk your life out according to, if you will, the instructions, and as a result, there'll be damage that's done on the inside of you. And I don't think any of us, there's not one person within the sound of my voice that has hasn't been either damaged by the misdirection of someone else in their life. Some of you have been badly treated. Some of you have been abused by your own, maybe someone in your own family. Some of you have been taught, people talking about you in high school and junior high and you still haven't really come out of that. Maybe a relationship, maybe a marital relationship that you were so close and so you thought everything was going great and then, well, you just didn't show up, just didn't come home one night and you had to go through a tragic divorce. I mean, None of us are immune from this. But I'm also a culprit. I've also caused pain, and I'm still law. If Christ has a marriage, what you have to understand is that following Jesus, if you want to call it religion, that's fine, but call it following Jesus as a religion, we are a resurrection religion. If Jesus wasn't raised, this is all futile. It's absurd. It's pomp and circumstance. It's pageantry. It's, well, we can just go back to Easter bunnies and things like that because this is just absurd. Now, that's what the Bible says about itself. And if you don't understand that, it's going to be difficult for you to even proceed because you'll think that there can be some form you can attach yourself to, but without this, the whole thing collapses. Are you with me? I'm going to give you a few reasons today. There's there's a guy by the name of Gary Habermas, Dr. Gary Habermas, who's probably become the foremost expert 
on uh, knowing Semitic languages and knowing historical and how you verify things. And look, we have all kinds of folks that have lived and then, you know, in years gone by, and we never wonder if Alexander the Great actually lived or if there were actually pharaohs or, uh, we, don't, we don't even ask those questions. We just assume that to be true. First of all, first proof for Jesus is that you do have to understand through all the other manuscripts that have been written and not just biblical manuscripts, there are plenty of manuscripts to confirm, and I could go through the list of Josephus and Tacitus and Pliny the Younger and all the different manuscripts that have been written, that Jesus was a real flesh and blood person. Secondly, Jesus was crucified. I don't need the Bible only to validate that for me, but he was crucified, and he was crucified under Pontius Pilate, and they have now discovered that that was the case during this time, uh, and that this, this event was at least purported to have occurred. Okay, now that's important to know because a lot of people walk around and go, ah, maybe Jesus was a real person. I don't really know. Maybe he's just some fairy tale or something. We know that Jesus lived and walked the face of this earth for a couple thousand, year, a couple thousand years ago for about 33 years. Now that's extraordinary. That's not the case for most religions. Most religions are somebody goes away in a cave and they're going to give you and point you in the direction of some kind of revelation that they've had. Not the case here. Jesus, a flesh and blood person. And as a result, we can know a lot about Jesus and we can corroborate or we can disprove some of the claims he made about himself. Ending ultimately in the final proof did he come out of the grave? Now, I know it's difficult. I know in this day and age that it's so challenging because, you know, we're, well, we have science now. C.S. Lewis called this chronological snobbery. We tend to have a feeling that the ancients would just believe anything. They didn't all. They, no, they understood when somebody died and they, they stopped breathing for a few days, it was over. Uh, their experience had told them through over and over that dead things don't come back to life. That wasn't, it was just as hard for them to believe in the resurrection as it would be for us today. Maybe even more so because we have social media and I don't know, what are, what are everybody calling it? Fake news and we don't know what's true and we don't, and who knows and UFOs. I mean, think about it. I mean, we still don't know. Are there, well, of course there's unidentified flying objects, but are they extraterrestrial? And I mean, and some people say, well, that's just absurd. We have, well, we haven't disproven it, but it's not really maybe been fully proved to, well, to the, to the measurement of most thinking people. And then you say, well, no, 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 I, I have had experience, and maybe so. But you just gotta realize that they understood that dead things don't come back to life. The second thing we know is that there were some disciples that at least believed at least believed that they had seen a resurrected Jesus. I want you to think about that for a minute. Again, I use this example all the time because it's just one that we know so well. I was flipping through the other day, and I guess on one of these pay stations, there's even a whole thing and a movie about it called Waco. We all know about David Koresh and how all that compound burned down in Waco because he was claiming to be the Messiah and all those kinds of things. And yet, today, we really don't have anybody that stands up and said, I'm a Koreshite, and I am starting, and I follow him, and I've seen him raised from the dead. And, and I'm telling you, if they had seen him and eaten dinner with him later uh, and then spent, you know, 
30, 40 days with him, you don't think that there would be a lot of people saying he is the Messiah. But we find no one. There were so many Messiahs during the time of Jesus, it was hard, it was hard to count. Only one was purported to come back from the dead, and then these men and women gave their lives, many going to an untimely death because of what they thought they had experienced. I think a lot of the naturalistic causes that go around today, like or, or go around in yesteryear, have been pretty much disproven just through this historical method of trying to ascertain what's true and what's not about ancient documents and what's, what, what we can corroborate. They used to say, well, mass hallucination and all kinds of things. Uh, it just doesn't work. It doesn't fit the facts. It doesn't fit the fact that these men and women went to their death because what they at least said that they had experienced, they had to believe it pretty strongly. For Peter to be crucified upside down, you don't think, you know, maybe I saw it, maybe I didn't. It was a long way away. I saw the back of his head. It was a crowdy day. It was a crowded day in the market. And maybe I saw him. And then I had a sense that my heart just told me that was him. Do you think a, a man would go and be crucified upside down because of that? No. They touched him. They had, they had a meal with him. Saw him appear in a room. It was a different kind of body than they had ever experienced. And every single one of them went to their went to their death with the possible exception of John. Well, that's pretty strong evidence. I mean, we don't have anything like that for, for many of these ancient figures that we talk about. It's a powerful thought, isn't it? The resurrection, and again, this is for you historic history buffs. Uh, there's a couple of parameters. Is how, how early was it written? And were these eyewitnesses? Those are the two most important things to determine whether a document is a reliable source both these happen over and over and over. And even by the time that Saul, who wrote, who became the Apostle Paul and wrote that 1 Corinthians 15 that we opened with, allow me to say these creeds were already in place. He actually alludes to something that may have already been an early creed about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And that is within just a few decades of the time, well, of the time that Jesus well, ascended back to the right hand of the Father. A real, physical, literal Jesus. Not a feeling of Jesus. Not like you put it, not like you put a name, somebody wants to live eternally, and they put their name on the side of a building at a university because they give multiple millions of dollars, and their name lives on as a legacy. That is not what the Bible stands on. The Bible stands on that Jesus would have the power over death, and that's why it means something for you and me in the 21st century. Again, it means that I potentially don't have to fear death anymore. If I can believe this. Is it reasonable to believe. A couple other figures. Well, one other figure we had, hadn't talked about yet, obviously Saul giving up everything and becoming the Apostle Paul. But even Jesus' own half-brother James didn't believe in him. He grew up with him. You can't, you've got to be kidding me. Why? He had seen a resurrected Jesus, a half-brother of his, end up giving his own life and became really the bishop of the church in Jerusalem. That's where we get his brother James. You just can't. Now that can happen maybe with somebody distant and you don't know. Have you ever had that experience? You kind of know somebody just a little bit and you think, oh, they're so tremendous and everything. And then you get around their family and they're not so tremendous. You know, if you only knew what, what they do. And don't talk to my family after the service, by the way. But the, look, the point is, 
James that would give his life and risk his life for a brother that he grew up, you know, punching and who knows what and making fun of. And I mean, he all the way. And how could he turn and then bow and call, call him Lord and the Messiah? How, how would that happen? And he, we have an entire book of the Bible that many theologians believe the brother, and I happen to be one of them, half brother of Jesus, the brother James wrote. How would these things happen? I'm ask you another thing. What about near-death experiences? Now, it doesn't lead us all the way to Jesus, but do you know that estimates are upwards of now 30 million accounts of NDEs, near-death experiences? 30 million. Now, I don't trust them all because, you know, sometimes there's a white light, and I have a close friend, and she comes to Church of the Red Door at times. Some of you have maybe even heard her testimony. She was a mother, an atheist, and she died, and she felt, she describes it as being in an elevator with the most shrill sound you've ever heard, utter darkness, falling, like an elevator had been disconnected from the top of an elevator shaft and was plummeting to the ground. And they said that she had, she had flatlined on the table there, and she was dead, and somehow she came back, and she began to pursue and try to figure it out and realize what, she finally found Jesus. And let me tell you something, she's pretty passionate about that NDE. A lot of people are. It completely and utterly changes their life. Now, I don't know whether some of these can, you know, I don't know about all these. I can't give an account for all these. And in some ways, they're different. What it does give us insight is that when you breathe your last, there's some remarkable things that happen that when you breathe your last, activity in the brain, it's not just a little activity of consciousness, that you actually, they actually have an awareness. People, you know, you've heard of them, or they float off, they feel like they're disconnected from their body, and they float off the table, they can see that they're flatlining, and there have been many cases when they can even, like on the top of some bookshelves, maybe something they'll see and describe that they saw from being in the top of the room. How would they ever know that? And there's not just one of these accounts, there are a lot of these accounts. Now that, again, that doesn't get me all the way to Jesus, but it gives me pause to say, well, maybe I'm not, that I'm actually a soul and that I have a spirit. Maybe that is true. I mean, that's pretty compelling to me. So the idea of resurrection is not that bizarre to me. And some of you say, it's still unscientific for me. I still don't believe in that. Allow me to just say this. Do you realize that every worldview that you could possibly have is fantastical? How would you not have a fantastical worldview? Were you driving, if you were driving from, say, La Quinta or somewhere East Valley, and you were driving up, you'd see all the snow on those mountains and, and all that, and you'd say, okay, all of this. And what's your view of the world? Well, I believe in the science, and I believe in the Big Bang, and I don't have any problem with the Big Bang either. The problem I have is imagining that the Big Bang is not in some way fantastical, that you have two trillion galaxies that are all stuffed into something smaller than a pinhead, on average of 100 billion stars per galaxy, two trillion galaxies, and all the matter in the universe started in something smaller than a pinhead where all physical laws break down and nothing works anymore, and you just say, well, it just is. It's fantastical. It's a fairy tale. Something comes out of nothing. But I can't believe in a resurrection. See, now that doesn't get me all the way to Jesus either, but it gives me an idea and an understanding of design and at least an intelligent mind. And if Jesus then says, 
If you've seen me, you've seen that intelligent mind. And then he's able to do the things that he did, like walk across the water and subvert every physical law that we know and multiply fish and loaves and raise people from the dead like Lazarus and not just say, hey, look at my power, but to actually say, I am the resurrection and the life. Martha, relax. I am the resurrection. It's powerful. You know, Jesus said, 1 Corinthians 15 also says that the entire gospel is summed up in these few words. Jesus Christ died according to the scriptures. Now that only gets me to the Matthew 1. It only ends up in Malachi, right? Because at that time, the scriptures were only the Old Testament. He said, Jesus died according to the scriptures. He was buried. And on the third day, he rose again according to the scriptures. And then he appeared to a lot of different people, which they could corroborate, by the way. And the Bible actually says, and most people don't know this, that he appeared upwards of, to upwards of 500 people. Now, in that lifetime, you don't think that rumor could have been squashed? Well, go ask Ted. Ted was, Ted was one of the 500 that saw a resurrected Jesus. All right, well, let's go to Ted's house. Ted, come on, Ted. Hey, we heard something. We heard that you uh, had seen a resurrected Jesus. And Ted's like, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm going to do a little backtracking here. I, I didn't really say that. I mean, it could have been. I'm not sure. No, they could have done. That would have eliminated this ridiculous rumor in the minds of some right off the bat. But even more so, you've got to understand that this was according to the scripture. What you don't realize if you haven't read the Bible for all it's worth is that the Bible from the very beginning says that Jesus has got to die or whoever this messianic figure is going to be. He's got to die. He's going to be the Lamb of God. The very purpose for all the ceremonial law and the bloodletting and all this crazy stuff that you say, I can't believe the Bible because it's all about a bunch of blood and animals and sacrifices. I mean, have you seen us do any animal sacrifices here this morning? I mean, that won't be till the end of the service. I mean, it's not like we do them all the time. No, I mean, think about this. The entire ceremonial law, those 613 laws was, was about, you know, goats and lambs and this and that and blood on this and blood on the mercy seat and blood for the house of a leper and blood and blood and blood. I can't, there's no way I can buy that. And, but once you understand that it was all pointing toward the death of the only one that would ever really matter because as Hebrews says, as Paul wrote to the believing Jewish community, you think God's interested in the blood of bulls and goats? It was just a foreshadowing of one thing, the death of God himself. The only one that has the power over life and death. I mean, I could have died for somebody, but I'm not an unblemished lamb. Never was, never could have been. I was born into sin, but he was born without it. And therefore, death had no power over Jesus. And all the prophets saw it, and because they said this would be a forever king, not just a lamb, when he'd come back the second time, and he would set all things right. Paul said in his first kind of presentation to this 
eridite group called the Areopagus on Mars Hill in Athens, you know, the great seedbed of all Stoic philosophers and, you know, all these great men that we still think about, Socrates and Plato and all these deep thinkers. And he stood before those men and he said, God has appointed a man to come back and judge the world. And he furnished proof that this is going to happen by raising him from the dead. God's not against proof. Do you understand that? This is not just some fly-by-night fairy tale. It just, well, you just got to believe. God's into verifying fact. I heard Tim Keller's wife one time, and I thought it was profound. I had never thought about this. Do you know the story when they came to the tomb, and it had been rolled away, the stone had been rolled away, and there was an angel camping out on the stone. Why? Because Jesus was in there, raised from the dead. Excuse me, let me out. I need out. I need out. Is anybody out there? And so Jesus sent an angel. Do you think God sent an angel to roll the stone away so Jesus could get out? We know later as a resurrected body that he just appeared in a room. You don't think God could, in his new resurrected body, go through a wall or go anywhere he wanted to? I mean, the grave clothes were all folded up and right there. They weren't tattered and strewn everywhere and him trying to go like a mummy, trying to get out. You know? No. He didn't need anybody to let him out. Why do you think they rolled the stone away? To verify that the tomb was empty for those early witnesses. It's a powerful thought, isn't it? You think God's against proving anything to you? Well, the ultimate proof you're ever going to get, and this is the close this morning, the only proof and ultimate proof and the way you will know that you absolutely know he was raised is to experience him. If you don't have the Spirit of God living on the inside of you, you'll never understand really in an ultimate way that he lives. Proofs won't do it. All those, the ultimate proof, the ultimate proof is to believe into him and receive him into your very, well, into your body. Christ, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of, not to see, it's not just Christ, the hope of glory. It's Christ in you. Listen to what Paul says to the Romans in Romans chapter 6. This is important because death is not the end of your human experience. You are a spiritual being having a momentary human experience. You're not a human being maybe trying to have a spiritual experience. You will live forever. Your consciousness doesn't stop at the moment you breathe your last. You are an eternal being, according to this word. Paul says this, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that, why do, why do we even have this symbolic kind of baptism? So that, as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be what? In the likeness of his resurrection. Now, look, it's one thing just to believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. And we can sit back and go, that was impressive. That was awesome. You conquered death. Congratulations. 
But what import does that have for me in the 21st century? Paul says it right here. If you've been baptized into his death, you will, in the likeness, in the same likeness as you come up out of that water, you also will come right up out of that grave at the end of all things and have a resurrected body. And say, you know, I just, that is just so hard for me to believe. Again, allow me to say, everything's hard for me to believe. There's no, there's no option as a human being. What's bizarre to me is that I'm sitting here, or standing here, I should say, I'm standing here and there's anything. Why is there anything? There's a screen and flowers and people and, uh oh, maybe this is just a hallucination. Maybe I'm just having a dream that I'm talking to you. I don't, you know, who can corroborate anything? You know, it's a truth. We don't believe, I don't know if we believe anything. It is not difficult for me to believe that someone who can speak into existence out of nothing, galaxies, could somehow breathe life into an, well, an, the Bible calls it an indestructible life. That's not hard for me to believe. I've taken astrophysics courses. I, I stayed at a Holiday Inn Express a couple of nights ago. I mean, I got, all, I, I got a lot of information up here. I'm just telling you. And what I will tell you is that even I may not have the finest mind there is, it is not difficult for me to believe because my alternatives are equally, if not more, absurd to believe. All this came into existence by pure chance, not a chance. I can't believe it. I just can't believe it. So what just happened here with this baptism and we got this new spirit? Well, Romans 8, 11. Listen, listen to what he says. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, Romans 8, 11. Let me say that again. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit which dwells in you. What do I need to be raised from the dead and live eternally with a loving father? Not in earth 2.0, not in, in continuing chaos and anarchy. God, Jesus is gonna come back as judge and he's gonna eradicate all of that. The problem is he would have had to eradicate me because I'm a culprit. I'm complicit with the fallenness of this stinking world. So how does he pass me over in judgment? I'll send my son, believe into him, and you'll be passed over in judgment. Believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. How can you be more clear than that? That's why it's such good news. 1 Corinthians 6.14, as if that is not enough, God has not only raised the Lord, but will also raise us up through his power. Who's us? He's talking to the church at Corinth, people who'd given their lives to follow Jesus at great risk. See, a little bit the problem in the Western culture right now, it's kind of hard to do this whole thing because it doesn't take that much risk. Does anybody here come here today imagining that somehow the Gestapo was going to burst in and and overtake this assembly and throw you in jail and torture you to death unless you recant your 
belief in Jesus? Not so much. I wonder sometimes if that wouldn't have been a thinning mechanism. Would that have thinned the crowds? Probably so. It's easy to come into something like this and just kind of go, when is this going to be over? I can't take this anymore. I can't. Why? I, I, please, I beg you just for one second, why is this such bad news? You're an eternal being. You can live eternally with the creator of your soul. You just have to be, say, I was complicit. I'm guilty. Why is that such bad news? Why? Why is that offensive? It's only offensive because you think you, we think we're good people. If Jesus had to die, then he had to die. Last two things I want to show you is the very first sermon that was ever preached was a guy named Peter. Same guy that denied even knowing him. He was on his team until it looked like, well, until it looked like he wasn't a very good quarterback anymore. His completion rate just plummeted. He couldn't even, he was up there, he didn't drop back and have that. And he didn't even look like that anymore. Now it looks like that quarterback's going, mm. It just looked like everything was lost. They had wasted three years and Peter denied even knowing him until two things happened. He received the Spirit and he saw a resurrected Jesus and experienced a resurrected Jesus. Those are the only two things that make sense in my human experience to observe Peter going from denial that he even knows him and cursing this little poor slave girl out to actually going to a place where he would, well, eventually be crucified upside down, unwilling to recant what he had seen and experienced. His first sermon went something like this. He told them that they were liable for the death of Jesus. And many of them thought, well, what shall we do in light of the fact that we're part of the problem? And he said, now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter, and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? May I just say, that question has rung down through 2,000 years. Every culture, every tribe, every race, men, women, slave, free, whoever, that same question is offered to you, and it's offered to you today. What shall we do? Somehow, I believe in the resurrection. I came in here thinking this was absurd. I came in here just because I was drugged here by a friend or family, and we just got to do that, or Grandpa's not taking us out to eat, or whatever. And all I'll say is you're confronted with the exact same question, or it should be your question, what shall we do? And it was very simple. He said, repent. That just means change your mind. And each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus. Why? For the forgiveness of your sins, the likeness of his death, the likeness of his resurrection. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Let me say that again. God can now come and live on the inside of you. See, that's the transformation that happened in me. One day I cared about this, and then the Holy Spirit came through. God came and lived on the inside of me. And the next day, I was still basically the same guy. But all of a sudden, my intentions changed, and many of my desires started that day to change, and they've been changing ever since, over three decades now. I can't describe it. Brainwashing. 
You just bought into some line of absurd argument that can't be proven. Just remember, your ground is not that solid because you still have to wrestle with shame and guilt and an intuitive sense that things are not as they should be. And you have to embrace a worldview where something comes out of nothing by pure cosmic accident. Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life, John 11. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. And he said, that's a contradiction in terms. No, never die an ultimate separation from the creator of their soul. It's called the second death. And then he asked a simple question. Do you believe this? Now you say, well, you're a preacher. You have to say this. No, I'm also a person that has to ask the same question. What shall I do? What am I going to do? If it's not God, where am I going to go? Well, just enjoy your life. Fine, just, just, just embrace the fact and don't live in this fantasy world. Just embrace the fact that there is nothing after this life. Upon what do you base that? 30 million near-death experiences? Historical, the historical veracity of whether or not Jesus actually was raised from the dead? I mean, what, what do you base that on? Oftentimes, it's been my experience, well, early on, I didn't want to believe because I wanted to run my life like I wanted to run my life, imagining somehow that would give me great satisfaction. Mick Jagger told us. <laughs> you know, you just can't get it. Fame, money. How in the world do you tour the world and sell out stadiums in your 80s I mean I can't even do it I mean, how do you stay that skinny by the way I mean this is absurd I mean who how can you know rock star maybe 10 years he'd be a rock star for 60 plus years and counting singing the same songs over and over and over and by the way, how is Keith Richards still alive? <laughs> that alone should make you believe in God. You know what I was told? I read an article, so it must be true. This is, maybe I've told you this before, but I, Keith Richards said, they asked him, how are you still alive? I mean, the drugs and the lifestyle and everything else. And he looked at him with a straight face. I refuse to eat cheese. That's true. It's a true story. I don't eat any dairy. I don't eat any cheese. And I think I was eating a ham sandwich with cheese on it. I went, <coughs> anyway, I digress. You're never getting any satisfaction out of Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And in John 10, he said, I came to give life and life more abundantly. Not just in this life, but reciprocally, not just in eternity. He'll give you life now. I think that's the greatest proof you'll ever have is a, is a restored life with new desires. Not a new religion. Jesus in you. How are we closing this thing? Is there somebody coming up after me, Paul? Okay.
Okay, worship team, why don't you come on up? Um, so we're going to do this. We're going to pray. Look, now is, a, now is a potential opportunity for you to ask the question, what shall we do? And say, oh, you know, I've seen this on TV and people... No, I, seriously, I'm asking you the question. Will you ask the question? What shall we do? God gives us the exact answer to that. Repent. Change your mind about what you think about Jesus. Somehow today, I just, I just believe in the resurrection. I kind of did, but it was more just me and my ancestry, and my mom was a Christian, and, or my grandfather was a Christian, or whatever. you got to jettison that. This is you. This is you. This is your eternal destiny. Repent. Change your mind. Be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. I would love the privilege to baptize you. I've done it in hot tubs, swimming pools. Not the Beverly Hillbillies, but I've done it everywhere. Just about everywhere. Changed people's lives. I've watched it over and over. It's, it's, again, it's the greatest proof. Repent, be baptized, and you shall receive the gift of the Spirit. And what did we learn this morning from Romans 8:11? If the Spirit of Him who raised Christ from the dead lives in you, then He will also raise you from the grave. Now, if, there, if you can find better news than that today, please send me a letter. But back it up with something greater than that. 